I said it before and I'll say it again. That scene, that last scene. What does it mean? I'm the dude, you know? Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. That final scene starts now. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of That Final Scene, the podcast where we break down movie and TV endings. This is Sophie. I am your host and I am joined by my co-hosts, Simon and Ben. Hello. Hello, hello. Yo. Hi. Um, Okay, so in this episode, we're not going to do a community segment because we have so much to talk about. This is official like blockbuster season episode. Yes. (laughs) So I just feel like we have to get right into it. How are you guys doing? Vibesec after Oppenheimer and... And did you guys watch Barbie as well? Not yet. Okay. No, not yet. Barbie will possibly be this weekend. Okay. Quick vibe deck. How are you doing? Uh, I feel cheerier than I did after the film. (laughs) That's for sure. I mean, it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a horrendously bleak watch. Um, Yeah. It's going to take a few watches to kind of really grasp it all as well. Do you know what? In, In a really weird way, I'm looking forward to watching it again. Yeah. Uh, and and trying to because there it's it's such a dense film that like I think there'll be a lot in the same way with a lot of Nolan films apart from one which I'll it's talk about in a minute not least on other he's, rewatches he's like, messing around with time a lot again and yeah you have to keep your eye on like which era he's in yeah and um, I was thinking that on like the changes in color and like you'd be seeing same certain pieces from the same time that were in black and white. Now you're seeing it in color thinking about, okay, well, whose perspective is that coming from? And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot. I mean, yeah. So you two went to see the film together. Yes. In IMAX. It's the first film I've watched in a long, long time that felt like a cinema experience with a room full of people. It was experiencing it it together. Packed. It was about 500 people. Oh, easily. Yeah. I've not, even pre-COVID, I can't remember the last time I saw a cinema that busy. I think maybe, I think when I went to, I went to the midnight screen, I remember going to the midnight screening of The Force Awakens when Star Wars kind of oh, came wow. back. Yeah. And that cinema, I remember being packed out. But that cinema wasn't as big as the IMAX that we went to. And it was just, yeah, it's really nice. Like, it's quite funny because obviously like Nolan had the whole thing during COVID of being like releasing tennis and sticking with that and being like, tennis going to keep cinema going through um, through COVID and actually what it did was kind of tell streaming services and and movie houses to be like actually maybe you should just release it on streaming services because it's not worth the hassle of trying to release it in cinemas and now a couple of years later he's come along with something alongside Barbie is like getting people to the cinema in droves like everyone is obsessed with it and wanting to either see one or both he's kind of done it but a couple of years later, or he's not like save cinema, but he's like they, him and Greta Gerwig have like reinvigorated it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know what you think on this, but because we've all observed and we've seen like the Barbenheimer phenomenon everywhere on social, I do feel like the weird winner in this is actually Oppenheimer. Like I feel like it mm. got a lot of free marketing through Barbie because of the memes. Like yeah. I, like it was the first time, and like this is with people offline where I'm chatting to people that are not really Nolan fa- fans, and like they're quite mainstream, you know, moviegoers that they would never go and see Oppenheimer, and they were like, "Oh yeah, like next on my list after Barbie is gonna be Oppenheimer." I'm like, "You've never seen a Nolan film besides Inception," so for me that has really benefited Nolan. I think, in a way. I think that also kind of speaks more to oppenheimer itself though because i think it's quite a it's a very culturally relevant film even though it's a film about the 40s and 50s it kind of feels considering every week there's something in the news about the threat of nuclear war it feels like quite an important fit like 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 as as historical biopics go it's quite an important one it's a huge story 
Um, I just think people, what I found, which is why Marvel and like dumb movies have done well for so long, is that I find that a lot of people these days, after COVID especially, go to the cinema just to escape. Mm. and they want to see dumb stuff. So I'm quite, like, I'm positively surprised by the turnout because, yeah, first weekend, you're all, like, with a Nolan film, you're always going to have impressive um, turnarounds. 80, 80 but, million dollars, I think. Yeah, it? but I think with this one, he's just looking incredible. Like I think, uh, as, I think as well on that, I, I, this year in particular, or maybe, like, the last, like, two years have shown that, um, and and maybe, like, Disney have done like Universal and, and other, you know, um, production companies, a bit of a favor in that they've kind of, Disney have shown, oh shit, we can't keep flogging the same horse and people come to the cinema now because people aren't just going to see Marvel movies anymore. And right. Barbie and Oppenheimer kind of prove that people do still want to go and see uh, like carefully crafted and thought out films. Because Barbie is as well, like I haven't seen it yet, but anyone I've spoken to who's seen it is that it's more than just, you know, like a movie about a doll. Like it's, it's you know, it's, I hate using the word meta and like saying it's on different levels, but that seems to be what what it is. And it kind of proves that people don't just want to go and see another fucking superhero film. They mm-hmm. want to go and see something other than that, because that's all we've had for the last like 10 years. I really enjoyed Barbie. Uh, <laughs> so you saw both, you did back to back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so many people in so, Oppenheimer dressed in pink. It was yeah, so weird to, to, to see like, yeah, the, yeah, the Oppenheimer people and the Barbie people, like the, you know, the difference. What was order quite, did you do it in? Barbie first. I, that was the unconventional route. Because when I asked people on social, like, what would you do first? 76% of people said Oppenheimer first and Barbie second. And at first I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because you have to cleanse your palette, as Isarai said, with Barbie. However, I was like, I know myself and I know I'm going to have to process an Nolan film properly. I think I joked about that after we left the cinema. I said to like Simon and Ellie, because we all went together. I was like, oh, Jesus, yeah, it'd be good to see Barbie now to like yeah. relax the mind. But actually, I, in hindsight, I think Oppenheimer like kind of asks so many questions that you have to think about that. I probably wouldn't have enjoyed Barbie because I would have been sitting there still kind of dwelling yeah. on what I had just watched. So I think I probably, if I was doing it, I'd have gone Barbie first. I it think. makes a lot it, more It'd sp- allow yeah. me appreciate Barbie more. It makes a lot of sense because once you see Barbie, you, you are in the moment, but then you kind of at least I kind of forgot about it. Uh, when I was watching Oppenheimer, I wasn't like thinking of Gosling's <laughs> six pack. Uh, so, so how, how would you uh, explain, I mean, it's hard not to. How would you explain Barbie to us then? It's Greta Gerwig's Inception. So it's Barbie entering the real world and she has a lot of fun and she's also very terrified because she sees the real world for what it is, which is like, patriarchy wins, you know? So just having a lot of, um, yes, he has a lot of thoughts about like, okay, what can I learn from this and how can I apply it to Barbie land? And the one thing that surprised me with this film is that at least the way I saw the trailers and all the marketing materials, I thought it was going to be 75% Barbie and like 25% Ken, as in, like, Ken is just there to be, like, the toy that we all know. But Gosling had a lot of screen time and his character had a lot of, quote-unquote, depth. And a whole, like, storyline that was even more compelling than Barbie's, if I'm honest. He's he's not just Ken, then, I guess, as all the marketing is I, I don't know. He's not just Ken. That's the thing. <laughs> or maybe he's just Ken. He's loving it, but he's having an existential crisis. So the one thing that I wasn't... Going into the film, one of the things that I feared was that it was going to be this sort of like 
full feminism, you know, sort of thing and being too quote unquote woke for its own good. And I feel like it doesn't do that. If anything kind of speaks about how our current world and like patriarchy doesn't serve men either. And here are the reasons why. So it doesn't just be like, men are useless, like women rule, you know, which I was worried about. Um, So yeah, I thought it was very smart. A couple of jokes didn't land with me. I thought they were a bit too on the nose. Like they make a joke about Zack Snyder. I heard about <laughs> this. I heard about this that she's that they were like we didn't think it was going because apparently all of Snyder's fans have gone crazy about of it. Of course they have. Yeah, because Snyder because Snyder fans are just like frat boys. I yeah, mean, Snyder fans might be listening to this and take massive offense, but after yeah. I saw Justice League, that's what I thought. Well, that's the thing. It tried to yeah make that point but I don't think it landed very well it okay. just it just felt a bit forced as a joke so I get the sentiment but it didn't quite work for me and then there was a bit yeah there was one speech in particular from America uh, Ferreira that was again a bit too we women you know for me but other than that yeah I think it fully worked and it looks beautiful it's like Wes Anderson type of like cinematography just gorgeous and I love what they do with the miniatures as well so there's yeah. no like a lot of CGI just you can see the craft and yeah it's really Could well you, done would you liken it to any film you've seen before is there anything similar that it reminded you of no not really the the type of yeah it's very sarcastic uh, and I don't, haven't seen that in a very long time. So it's almost like a safer Tropic Thunder because it is ve- it okay. is meta and sarcastic in that sense. It's not politically incorrect. I was going to say, <laughs> no tropical- one does blackface and Barbie, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of inoffen- there are a lot of offensive things that are happening in Barbie, uh, but okay. they're being done as a way to prove a point. Um, right, I right? see. Uh, on the flip side, in the real world, you know, catcalling. But yeah, it's quite unique. And it is true what they say about Gosling's being like being one of the best performance in yeah. a very long time. It just yeah, what he does is just superb. Like steals steals the yeah, scenes. Yeah, for sure. For a bit of side reading, or should I say, watching a couple of years ago, Donald Glover was on SNL, and they did a sketch of uh, Barbie's Instagram, and and these <laughs> three people are being interviewed to run Barbie's Instagram, and it's Pete Davidson. I can't remember who the actress is, and Donald Glover are giving these. Um, options for what Barbie's Instagram should be. And uh, he, Donald Glover's are all like really depressing. And his last one is, is like, look over there, there's Barbie. She doesn't even need, she doesn't even realize she's a toy. And then it's, it's, if it feels like having seen the trailer and then what, and what it was the first thing that came to my head was, did they really just turn that whole, mm. the idea, the premise of that SNL sketch into a film? Hi guys, welcome to your first day as interns at Mattel, the Barbie division. You're all here because of your interest in toy marketing or in Barbie herself. <laughs> I'll let the senior VP of Barbie social media elaborate more on that. Who is Barbie? Barbie is fun. Barbie works hard and plays thoughtfully. She has one boyfriend. She is impossible. She is girl to the max. Barbie is current. You understand? Yes, exactly. And last year, we launched her very popular Instagram account, which allows her to connect with her fans online. Now, you three will be helping out with the captions. Why don't we give it a try? What would be a fun caption for this post? Tamara? Mmm, love my juice and my chocolate bar. That's not a chocolate bar. It's a clutch. It's, it's fine. You. <laughs> it's like Barbie holding a handbag or something. Yeah. Isn't it? And then later in the later in the sketch, we get. Uh, I overheard a woman at the supermarket say the strangest thing. She said, "There goes Barbie. Poor thing. She doesn't know she's a toy." 
created by a corporation. Silly thing has never wondered where the car or the house came from. And the truth is, I'd never thought of those things until today. Yeah, he's almost describing the <laughs> he's film. He's basically but, describing yeah, the plot of the film. That's pretty cool. <laughs> when I saw one of the last trailers thinking about it coming up to release, I was like, that's, that's the Barbie film, right? <laughs> like, this, so is, this is where they've got it from. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> what else have you seen? What else have both of you seen other than... I watched the Nike Air film. Oh, I think it's good. Yeah, we, we talked about. Yeah, I saw. I saw it a few weeks ago. We t- yeah, you don't remember? It's on I don't Prime. Know what you're about it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what you remember. What's your review? Yeah. No, I love. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good Matt Damon performance. It's and a very Affleck. Like Ben yeah. Affleck was good. It's a very feel good love letter to consumerism. I thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it did feel like viewing the world when it was a much more optimistic place, which felt quite fun and nice yeah. and kind of disconnecting from the and the world of situation. advertising and marketing in general felt much more, more innocent yeah yeah like ambitious as well and not looking at like going for something that's so risky yeah i felt like it It was like a kind of feel-good montage all the way through it was just like happy ending music all the <laughs> time <laughs> it's a good um, weekday dinner on your knee film yeah that's the kind of yeah it's yeah. on prime isn't it is that how you watched yeah. it i can't yeah. remember yeah i think yeah. so and viola yes. davis is really good yeah, it was a little bit like Moneyball, but not as clever. Yeah. Oh, I love Moneyball. Yeah, I think Moneyball's, Moneyball's super. I don't, I don't always go to, even as someone who likes sports, and actually one of the things I've been watching is the Women's World Cup because it's on, which is amazing, I think. Um, I would, even though it's on fucking really early in the morning, I would go and encourage people to watch some of the games. But Moneyball. I don't really go to sports films as someone who likes mm. sports, but Moneyball, I think, is brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, and that's a testament to it because I'm not interested in baseball at all, but I thought yeah. it was brilliant. It was a bit like the big short in mm-hmm. that they sort of explained the mechanics of yeah, the, the economy, science and the economics yeah, behind it really well. Yeah. Yeah, fair. I mean, I, I mean, I've watched quite a lot actually. <laughs> Go for it, no. Yeah. So, I, in in build up to watching Mission, seeing Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, I also watched Mission Impossible One, Three, and Four. Good um, grief! Why these three in particular? Uh, because I'd already seen Rogue Nation and Fallout quite recently, and the second one's shite. Okay. So I decided to skip the second one, which <laughs> I, I might rewatch it in future, just yeah. for that opening rock climbing scene right. and that weird scene on the plane, even though. The idea of planes crashing freaks me out, so I don't like that opening sequence. And I watched that and then obviously went to see Dead Reckoning, which I loved. Uh, So if you posted on your Instagram about it and you weren't, not that you weren't keen on it, but I thought it it was like, do you know what? Do you know what made me? (laughs) I weirdly got really sad after seeing it because I thought to myself, Tom Cruise is 60 years old, right? He is not going to be able to do this forever. And he's probably the only person in the world who's currently making like him himself films like Mission Impossible, which are just like two and a half hours of just incredible action, all shot as practical. Like I know we'll talk about, we can talk about like Oppenheimer and what they did in the practicality of that. But like the stunts that he does as like a 60 year old man in these films that are just so enjoyable, he'll be gone soon and we just won't have that. We just, we just won't have that anymore. Like who is, who is the next Tom Cruise? I don't think there is anybody who the is AI doing what ver- he does. Yeah, the AI version of Tom Cruise probably yeah. in 20 years. Yeah, from Dead Reckoning, yeah. <laughs> I I'm not going to be sad. <laughs> really? Mean, no, I'm like, I feel, don't feel an emotional connection. I, I, in, in recent years, I've actually, I've, I've, I feel like I've developed, especially in the role he's on with the Mission Impossible films and Top Gun last year, I've developed like a much greater appreciation for like him as, like his place in cinema and what he's done. 
Um, like I think everybody goes on about the Scientology stuff, even though he doesn't really talk about that anymore. I it's think he's learned. He's had good PR. PR. It, they, yeah. yeah, the PR is doing like they've tidied work. they've tidied yeah. his reputation up quite a lot. But I think for what what he's done for yeah. cinema, like you you can't deny. Like Mission Impossible has to be one of the highest grossing franchises of all time, especially the last few. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, for me, it's just so firmly mainstream. You know? Yeah. So, but it's not trying to be anything other yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I th- like, and this is hard for me to say, as someone who loves the Bond films, the last three Mission Impossible films, I would say are probably better than anything the Bond franchise has done in the last 10 years. And that's hard to say, like, because Skyfall is a great film and yeah. I didn't hate Spectre and I did like the last one. You know, I know everybody kind of went crazy about them killing him off. But I had like, I had like quite a connection to that film. But just as like, in, if I want to watch and enjoy a film, Mission Impossible all day, all day long, all day long. Mm-hmm. Especially but Dead Reckoning. Bond Reckon. peaked at License to Kill. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mini mini spoilers. If you haven't watched Mission Impossible: The Reckoning Part One, please keep a minute. So, have you guys talked about this? Yet? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, briefly. Okay. Like, I think two comments on like Instagram. Yeah, page. I don't know how to talk about it without giving major spoilers because you are here. It's fine. I don't mind. Do you don't mind? Okay, uh, so, the person who died, the, I felt like there was a there was a lot of disservice done around that character and like we briefly talked about this yeah um i don't know should i just say it it's fine yeah. yeah elsa dies okay yes there you go and gone. <laughs> arguably, dude we just watched oppenheimer where we all know what happens and we've all okay. managed to enjoy it yeah exactly it's fine yeah as in well in my opinion she was the best thing that happened to the franchise and to give her like a death that was made, to say the least. Like the fight scene, I, I, I felt like was quite basic. Oh, I disagree. I thought it was a great fight scene. I thought it was very basic. Because th- that's what she's I, been known for for the last three films is like hand-to-hand fight scenes. Oh, I yeah. Really of good co- one. Yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't the way she died. It Building- was the fight scene. Like even Ga- like Gabriel, like I just didn't think it was anything in- interesting. The choreography, however you're going to call it, that was quite basic by the bridge. I felt, I've, I've, that scene, that whole thing in Venice where he is trying to get to the bridge as well. I have actually probably in Oppenheimer as well. It's one of the most tense moments I've ever felt in cinema. Generally being like gripping the edge of the seat, being like, what the, f-? like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, fuck, this is insane. That's my second. I thought it was a very dumb plot line because when you're being given the chance to save, I'm not saying you're in love of your life, but someone that you're very close to with someone you met five minutes ago and you end up making the decision of not making a decision and killing the person that is actually closest to you. So he was he was given a choice: either go mm. with Haley Atwell's character or Ilsa. And he wasn't able to make a decision. Yeah, but that but because that's, he wants to that, save that, both. That, yeah, but that's the whole point of the film. That's been the whole point of all the Mission Impossible films I mean, is that Tom Cruise won't make that choice though, and that, like that's the consistency with it is that he'll never do that. How does he not I, make the choice? As it, well, your man tells me he's like pick someone right here and right now who I have to kill. Yeah, and he just he won't. He well, straight up refuses. Oh, so then the baddie just chooses for him. No, well, a couple of other things happen that okay. like lead to basically this well, big chase scene and all this kind of stuff. I think I it's will been, admit I think Hayley it's, Atwell's character is annoying. I will give that, you that. That, that, that. I will give you that. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna. That, that, I'm gonna get there. So I guess it's been consistent because we always know that he's gonna succeed, and now that it doesn't succeed, it kind of falls flat on its face because 
the last time we see Ilsa's body is like by the no one even picks the body up like she just been, she just left there and then the next scene is Haley Atwell and they recruit her like there's not like a moment of silence like let's bury Ilsa like let's give her like girl <laughs> yeah, you I did love well. the fact that you yeah. want to respect this yeah character. exactly oh sorry so this is my this is my part here who go like a moment of silence when the world is going to end dude it, you can't have a moment be- of silence because then there's no moments of silence for anybody because oh, we're all dead come on it's their best friend like they're supposed yeah. to give her like a burial like give her something Tom Cruise has already walked away from his wife in this film franchise he can walk what? away from Ilsa yeah oh Simon there's so much you don't know good lord <laughs> well they should have learned from their mistakes and honor the dead I don't know I just felt like she was such a pivotal character in the film like it was it was, it was um what was did Simon you feel Beck's quite character? an emotional I would, I would just like she would just thrown away like a fucking toy and like now we're on to the next toy that is annoying and not yeah, but good. also but also bear in mind we also have a whole other film to go into now which that could play I know, a massive and now part we're gonna have the I think you're judging one. it too early and we're gonna have the annoying one she's now she's gonna peel off earn... a bloody mask and it'll be that same Ilsa underneath oh, she didn't can even, you imagine that she didn't amazing. even earn her place Hayley Atwell and now we're gonna have her in the, even though I like her as an actor I just don't think is, she works in this film is there an unmasking in it Many and unmasked. Oh, oh wow. how many? Oh my god! How, how many? What's Loads. the count? Uh, What's the mask count? Well, Tom screen. wears a mask within the first five minutes. Haley Atwell wears a mask towards the is end. Is the mask of the machine film. in it that prints the mask? Yes, yeah, <laughs> I love that yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does Simon Pegg operate it? Is Simon Pegg in it? Yes. What's yeah. he Peg like? Is, Peg is back, and I think it's Pegg's yeah. best film. Yeah. He's pegging. Yeah. Okay, so the so the uh, yeah the the things that I loved about the film. I think it does humor very well. It's probably the, the funniest Mission Impossible, in my opinion. At least, like, yeah. the lines that delivers the work. It goes super OTT, like, over the top with the stunts. And I love every single one of them. They're like amazing. I, I don't... It's insane. I didn't mind how ridiculous they were. And three... Like, just the train sequence alone. Like, the whole... With the part, with the yeah. So, yeah, I love yeah. how you're such a sucker for good action. Oh, it I is, did. It is. I, I, oh, it's dude. just like... You have like insane car chases, like the one in Italy, for example. Yeah. And Cruz go like comes out unscathed. Like he ha- doesn't have a single scratch. While he ha- he's had like bizarre like, car crashes, so, like his car has been flipped a thousand times. <laughs> he doesn't even have a single scratch. But I don't care. Like, yeah, like this yeah. is the kind of that doesn't bother me. Is this the film that he made during COVID? And he, there was those yeah. leaks of him telling off yeah. the. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, yeah, it's taken them ages yeah. to release it. It's been, yeah. it's been finished for a while, hasn't it? I think yeah. they've done some reshoots, but it's been finished for quite a long time. Because mm-hmm. if you watch, like, there's loads of behind the scenes of them filming this mad, the train stunt or the bike stunt that Sophie's talking about. I think I've seen the bike. He drives yeah. the bike off a cliff yeah. and yeah. parachutes off it. All the, fo- all the footage, everybody's wearing masks and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's quite, yeah, mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. The I agree with what you said because it is part one. So, like, there's a lot of setup happening. Um, I have quite high expectations with part two just because mm-hmm. the um, the villain in this one is actually an AI like that's oh, okay. the whole so it, you, well, it goes and also I will say it's an AI and as soon, so as soon as the film started and it was like it was going to be an AI thing I had the minute in my head I'd been like oh <sighs> god here we go and actually by the end of the film I was like I don't care because you have Gabriel who's this like cool sexy grey fox kind of mysterious man that is, is like the, is cool. is like the AI is just kind of a peripheral thing that he is like the face and the voice of it and right. makes it much more realistic and believable than just like it's not like Tom Cruise is like driving down the street and then they're like like the lights keep changing and like this ramp flips up because mm. the computer made it happen it's actually there's like a person 
also yeah. doing the bidding of it. And yeah, I just thought it was great. Yeah, someone, even though I don't think it's a realistic theory, but one of our listeners um, reached out and he mentioned, I should bring up this theory. He was like, I'm actually quite excited for part two because what if the major plot twist is that the AI has been in Tom, like in Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt's character all, all night long, like all time, mm. for all this time. What, like a chip in his brain. And he, yeah, he was basically just a pawn all along orchestrating mm. the whole, like the whole franchise, which would be insane, but then you have no well, one missing impossible that isn't, films. That's like the premise of every time they try and um, like, I feel like they've said the same thing in a couple of Mission Impossible films where someone tries to frame yeah. him for the bad guy and it's like, you have like made yourself, up. like, in, yeah, yeah like up. Alec Baldwin literally says, you have made yourself judge, jury and executioner of your own little world or something like that. And it's, that would be, yeah, it, uh, I don't know. It's it an interesting be, theory, but yeah. I would probably, that would be when I'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I think I think it would only work if the entity, is that a name? The entity is what they call it. Was yeah. the villain from Mission Impossible 1 entity. somehow. Entity, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's John. It's what? Well, it's John Voight. Yeah. Um, is it? No, no, well, no it's, it's John Voight's the it's bad guy in the first mission. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine though. Um, marks out of ten. Uh, three point. I give it a three. Oh, uh, seven point five. Nine. Oh. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I think. Yeah. That's for Elsa. That's what. I'm yeah. That, there you go. I'll, that's what I'm doing. I'll, I'll, I'll knock a mark off yeah. for how Elsa was treated and the how kind of annoying princess. <laughs> Literally, that's the way you're yeah, acting. Yeah. yeah, the world's Swedish Honestly, princess. Honestly, I think I wouldn't have mind as much if her successor wasn't a downgrade. Yeah. I think yeah. if it was, yeah. it just kind of annoyed me. One other thing I, I will say, before, we probably should take a break because we've been talking for yeah. quite a while. Uh, one quick note, uh, because we were seeing Oppenheimer, I rewatched Tennis and I watched it with subtitles to see Ooh, if it made sense. Oh, okay. Still doesn't make sense. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Still doesn't make sense. And I will be honest with you, watching it again, the fight sequences look really fucking silly the second time you see it. Oh yeah. man, I need it to watch that. I rewatched it and I was kind of like, is it, did I really think this was like cool and groundbreaking the first time? It genuinely looks like, like, ba- like a bad Kung Fu movie. Yeah, but I think Nolan, hasn't that been his weakest uh, point generally? Like, Probably. W- yeah, fight, I, well, one of the Batmans is quite an issue, low. Yeah, we had an issue yeah, with the Dark Knight Rises ones that we saw them and we're like, oh, these look very choreographed. Yeah, like, like the Tenet ones, look, it looks so... Cl- Pattinson's, I will say, Robert Pattinson's really good in it. Yeah, he's really good. Um, he... It's one of the best examples of how Nolan, up until Oppenheimer, wasn't great at writing female characters. Mm in Elizabeth Debicki and yeah, just the fight scenes are so funny looking. They're just so clunky. It's funny because I feel like Tenet is the thematic opposite of Oppenheimer. Yeah. I feel like color scheme, they look completely different. Yeah, exactly. And I I feel like Tenet asked the question, what would you, like, could you um, undo the making of an awful technology? Well, with Oppenheimer, it's like, well, it's here. (laughs) Nothing can be done now. So, like, it's a one-way street, which is, I guess, that's the case with sci-fi films. You you can, you find, you try to find a way to right the wrongs of the past, but with biopics, you don't have that luxury. Yes. Yeah, Oppenheimer time. Uh, We'll take a mini break and we'll be back with the film. Prepare yourselves. Oh, look, a message from our sponsor. G.I. Jane 2. Can't wait to see it. Yo, hold my poodle. Hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado. Here we go again. Okay, time to talk about Oppenheimer and the final scene. So to quickly summarize the plot, the film follows J. Robert Oppenheimer as he oversees the Manhattan Project and the creation of the world's first atomic bombs with numerous other real-life scientists and military and government officials. 
As some of us know from history, the Manhattan Project is ultimately successful. We have two bombs that are constructed at the secretive Los Alamos facility. And then the bombs are dropped on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August 1945, bringing an end to the war. Uh, whether that was the best outcome for humanity is a question the film doesn't even attempt to settle. Dr. Oppenheimer himself is clearly very uh, torn about the subject. However, that is not where Oppenheimer ends. The film is equally concerned with the protagonist's life both before and after the project. And the after is something the film dwells on long after the bombs are handed over to the U.S. military. Tense. Yes. I feel like we should have all done the stampy feet yeah. <laughs> during oh that, which comes back a lot in the sound. One of the tensest scenes I've ever seen, that stamping foot scene. Oh, God. Ter- like, I actually had people, I don't know if you guys uh, noticed any actual reactions in, from people in the Not cinema. Really, actually, did you? Well, so one person sitting beside me, I think it was when the bomb, it, during the Trinity test, when it goes up and before we, they have the, you know, because the cinema just went completely quiet. Because because you don't hear anything, so yeah. you just have yeah. waiting, waiting, waiting for the bang. There was somebody who, like two or three seats across from me, really oddly goes, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> in the back of the cinema, and I was like, "Are you? Are yeah, because okay? when that moment happens, they they let the foley track still run, so you hear like the rustling and the breathing of people. You know, like those funny YouTube videos where like they take." A classic like 80s pop star performance and then you just hear the train is squeaking oh, like, like the um, the 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 David Bowie yeah. uh, Mick Jagger one dancing yeah, yeah. in the street is the classic yeah it mm. was kind of like that and it was like you yeah. could just hear the breathing and moving and mm. you almost stuff. wanted to hold your breath waiting for the explosion mm. and then when it hit it was like it was ter- it was so scary Mm. Really made me jump when yeah. the actual, yeah. when the actual yeah. it was sound. genuinely very very loud as well it wasn't yeah sh- oh god seeing yeah. it in IMAX was yeah was, was the right idea yeah. I think. It's, uh, it's funny you bring up these two scenes because I read uh, interviews from Nolan and the editor of the film saying that these are almost like sister scenes because that what they have in common is the element of consequence. And the reason both the sound of the bomb and the, the stomping, stomping. Yeah, are delayed is to show the consequence of our action kind of like sit with a discomfort because these come like, a few seconds after whatever happens, you have the bomb going off and then you have the speech of Oppenheimer yeah. in that moment. So yeah, I thought that was very interesting. How well, that seems great because yeah. the sound the sound in that feed stomach scene is because then when he's making the speech, it's so disorienting Yeah, because you see them all clapping and cheering, but then you're also hearing dead silence at certain parts as well. And you're getting these big flashes of light from him imagining the bomb going off. Like it's quite a... Like, I mean, if they started like pumping like the smell of like burning, burning into the cinema as well, it would have been complete sensory overload mm-hmm. because there's so much going on for you to try and process while also trying to empathize or like emote with how he's feeling. Okay. So with this film, we're dealing with different, like a lot of different time periods. Yes. Would any of you like to attempt describe what? Well, it's in three sections that mm-hmm. that do the typical Nolan thing of like they overlap and they cross over like quite a lot. Whereas, so so it starts with his early life, pre pre war, even when he's like he's studying in Europe, he's studying in Cambridge, and then goes to Germany and meets these scientists. And uh, then there's the middle section of the film, which is actually the building of the bomb at Los Alamos, the Trinity test, all of that. And then the second, and then the, the third and kind of other timeline that is also being interwoven is these trials that he went through 
maybe 10 years after the war, trying to revoke his security clearance because uh, he basically had a falling out with Lewis Strauss, who's played by Robert Downey Jr., which I think is Robert Downey Jr.'s best oh, performance as an actor. Phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And basically their relationship and their falling out that happens over a conversation with Einstein and this kind of slight that Strauss um, sees towards him. And, how and there's that another reason on top, isn't there, where he, he humiliates, humiliates him. him yeah, mm-hmm. he humiliated him in front of a, a, a hearing, yeah. And basically the, terior, the deterioration of that and two kind of different hearings. You have the hearing where Strauss is being put up to become a member of the government, yeah. where he's kind of being asked all these questions about the trial that then we also see of Oppenheimer, which is where he was having his security clearance revoked and basically having his entire life dragged through the mud because his ex-wife was a communist, his current wife used to be a communist, his brother was a former member of the Communist Party. He had affairs. Yeah, Yeah. he had affairs. All these really uh, things that are really fucking frustrating to watch because you think of how stupid the whole, how stupid McCarthyism was and the fear of communism, how fucking stupid that was. Mm. And that actually gets, like I think Simon and I talked about this afterwards, watching that in films is so incredibly frustrating because you know what's real and you know how unjustified and how stupid it is. And like, how much damage it inflicts yeah, on the world. It's Jesus. a bit like the war on drugs, I think. It's a similar, mm. like, red herring and it was, it's just been a complete failure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. massively so. And uh, it was just used as a smokescreen for mm-hmm. America to be able to do whatever it wanted because it was in the name of, like, mm-hmm. is he a commie? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it doesn't, yeah. it's not relevant. <laughs> well, yeah, but towards the end of the film, we find out that all of this has been orchestrated by Strauss. So yeah. they just needed to find reasons, like no matter how credible yeah. any, because you could tell that it was a crucifixion, like in, in a way, like yeah. they were just trying to cross him, really. And yeah. they had a lot of reasons for that, for that, but, but um, it all backfired for Strauss as well. And yeah. it, I think it even, but it seems to, back, I mean, that even seems to backfire for everyone. You get this scene with Gary Oldman where he's playing President Truman, Truman. is it? Yeah. Where, and, and his, I mean, it's a fantastic scene. I mean, Gary Oldman does really well to leave a mark and he's only on screen for about 60 mm. seconds where he says, Calls you know, him a cry, but he says, don't he let that, that cry baby back, back in, in here. Cause yeah, yeah Oppenheimer says to him, I, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And he says, you're not the one who dropped them. You're not, you're the man who built the bombs. I'm like, I'm the one who dropped them. But it's funny that, that that's not correct, is it? Because you don't think of, uh, of that of president Truman. of Truman when you think of the end of the second world war, yeah. you think of Oppenheimer yeah. because it's his name that's more attached to it than uh, Truman. Yeah. Okay. So how does the film actually end? Uh it's, it's it's a tough question because ultimately the final show is well no the, step back the final scene is with Einstein and Oppenheimer pretty yeah. much it's revealing it's revealing what, what actually was yeah. discussed so we learned that the two weren't speaking about Strauss at all and even though that's what he thought but rather their fears regarding the technology he's loose upon the world. So I have this quote right here from Einstein where he said, they'll pat you on the back, tell you all is forgiven. (laughs) Just remember it won't be for you, it will be for them. So at this time, we see a middle-aged Edward Teller, and that is Benny Safdie. He was so good in that film. Yeah, Benny Safdie was great. Whom we had seen earlier testifying against uh, Oppenheimer shake Robert's hand, but, you know, Kitty Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt refuses to shake. Oh my God, God, just incredible to say uh, tellers 
Now, however, comes a key moment and the one that strikes a dark note that the film closes on. As Einstein turns to leave, Oppenheimer reminds him of an earlier conversation they had before the testing of the first atomic bomb, when the Manhattan Project uh, physicists were worried that the chain reaction caused by the atomic bomb might never end. And then Oppenheimer says, when I came to you with these calculations, we thought we might start a chain reaction that might destroy the entire world. And Einstein asks, what of it? And Oppenheimer says, I believe we did. As the camera closes in on its face, on his face, sorry, we cut with a series of modern nuclear missiles. And I mean, that fi- those final frames are just incredible. We see actual footage. We see uh, an image tied to a memory earlier in the film from William Borden, who recalled being in a plane watching German V2 rockets headed toward England. We see explosions across the surface of the planet. Then a ring of fire begins to consume the earth. And then the very last image of the film is Oppenheimer's face in extreme close-up, staring at the droplets of the, in the pond and closing his eyes. Which is actually, wasn't it, the, that, wasn't it the very first scene of the film, him, the young version of himself looking at droplets? Of, yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is like, here's how he used to view the world, like the possibility, like the potential. And now he can only see destruction. Or even the and, ripples that the droplets cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of the the, the film is like, uh, the earlier parts of the film especially is is like, he's, it is a lot of him struggling to come to terms with how he sees the world and, and mm-hmm. struggling with that. And then he gradually comes to terms with that and, and builds the bomb and it changes to, you know, he's... Because remember, he's, he's a Jewish guy. Isn't yeah. He? He's, a, yeah. he's the son of a Jewish mum. Well, yeah, because he that's the, and one that's of the, not really touched on that much in the film, is it? Because they don't make a lot of that. In the beginning, maybe. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it. He he does he does make that reference to. He makes a couple of comments about it. So he's like, I he said makes the comment about I know what it means. I know what it means if the Nazis have the Nazis have a bomb. And he yeah. says the thing. He says the thing. Somebody makes a comment. Maybe it's Matt Damon's character. And he says, "Don't forget." Don't forget, it's not your people they're killing. Mm-hmm, and he's, mm-hmm. it's not your people they're hoarding into concentration camps. So it is quite, there's a couple of different references made to it, but it's not front and center. Whereas actually. But it's not made out to be his main driver behind building the bomb. It's not no. like that's present, it's not presented in the film like that. And also because he never knows when the bomb's going to be ready, does he? Because presumably if the bomb was ready early, they probably would have done it on Berlin or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just, who knows? how different Europe would be now if that had happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how how did the, that final scene make you feel? I thought it was a really like a, nice fi- landing yeah. for the film. Yeah. I thought, I think I, it's, I thought the yeah. idea of actually it has set off a chain reaction around yeah. the world and it really made me think about the proliferation of it's nuclear m- weapons it, yeah. in Russia right now. What if someone overthrows Putin and gets their hands on the nuclear button? Yeah. What happens then? Or what if, what happens if... Trump gets back into the White House and goes nuts or something. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? So yeah. it's, it did make me think a lot about that. It, yeah, it was so, like, it's funny because it's the first time, at least in my experience, that it kind of gives, like, grim cinematic life to a generational fear that we all know exists because you know that technology is available and it could be used anytime. And you're right, I think the timeliness of it is unfortunate, but also very true. So yeah, it, like yeah, I thought it was one of the best Nolan good ending, message. one of the oh, best Nolan endings yeah. that I've ever seen. I enjoyed the ending more than Inception with the with the yeah, spinning top. I agree. It was I think it's incredible. probably the best ending to a. F- it's probably his best ending to a film. I agree. 
It's my it's favorite. Pr- it's possibly so his best film. It's not a challenging ending. It's not particularly clever. It just made a lot of. It's sense. not supposed well, to be, yeah, yeah, because I think it's a challenging film. The ending doesn't need to challenge you yeah. because we're all you're already confronted by the this massive. It's not even a moral question for us. It's a it's a it's a moral question of uh, that was asked by one man, and we're just being shown how he then dealt with that before and after he mm, made the decision. Mm. It's not trying to get you, you know, it's, it's trying to get you to empathize with him and then also scare the shit out of you. Yeah. I, and I thought, you know, that's the scene with Einstein in particular and the way trivial, like the way it was revealed and what they were talking about was so well done. And it speaks to, and I think we've talked about in the Prestige episode where it's like, you know how Nolan has those pivotal scenes in every film where the key protagonist realizes something in that scene and then everything turns on its face. Mm. You had that with the twin revelation with Prestige. You had that with Interstellar where McConaughey's character goes to his young daughter, like the the young version of his daughter, and he says goodbye to her and knowing that he will never see her again. Like it's all those things where it's like these characters obsessively turn to these moments and one of the things that stood out to me was that, so this scene actually took place, what, a couple of years after the bombings, maybe? Yeah, I think it's like 49, 50, yeah. maybe? Yeah, so he was still kind of riding on the high of being a celebrity. He, he hadn't had that realization at the time that he was truly a destroyer. So when we came- so- I don't know, I think he had. I think I think that's the whole point of the stomping scene is that I think as soon as it happens that he 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 talks quite a lot about the point that, you know, oh, we've, you know, we've built the bomb. Who are we to, who are we to say how it should be used? I think as soon as, I think as soon as it's used, he realizes exactly what he's done. I thought I that's he the whole still point had of that it- stomping scene and the girl, like the girl with the, her face peeling off and stuff like that. It's the realization of, you know, Kenneth Branagh's character where he says- you know, you're the man who gives them the power to destroy themselves. I think he, mm. in that moment, as soon as it's used and he sees that how much more devastation it's actually caused, because then that comes back in, in, in a couple of scenes later where he's being interrogated about it and they ask him, you know, how many, how many people actually died? And he's like, how many did you predict? And they predicted 70,000. It ends up being 110,000 or something in both cities. Mm. I think as soon and as that happens. the additional... Yeah, the fallout. The fallout, it's like 230,000 yeah. or something. A quarter of a million, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think as soon as that, I think as soon as that happens, he, he he knows exactly what he's doing, and then the rest of the film, and that's why it's interesting with the crossing over of timelines, is because you can you, this man who's just who's grappling with this thing that he's done, like it has committed almost like could be committing genocide almost mm. one man. However, you do see him going out and giving speeches and stuff, like after, like in the aftermath of what happened, he didn't resort to, he didn't give up on that. But Legacy. they never really expose his thoughts. Like they never. There's no scene with Oppenheimer going. Did we really need to drop them? Like, well, was it enough of a deterrent in itself? So for me, that giveaway came with the hearings because you know how like it was pointed to him repeatedly how distant and passive he was throughout the hearing, where everyone was like, "Where are you going to fight back in this?" and and he would just like silent and distant. And the, they were implying that it was some kind of form of self-flagellation. That's exactly was, yeah. what I thought, that this was his way of being like, I I deserve all of yeah. this. Like, almost like a punishment. Bring it, like, bring it on, I have nothing to say. For me, it was interesting that they were speaking to his character and like his attitude. And I feel like it was different to what he was telling people, like how he was reacting one, two mm. years in. 
I could be wrong, but I, I thought that was an interesting change in attitude, really, from what I've seen from him in throughout the film. Um, cool. Anything else that we want to touch on when it came comes to that? Final I had a really scene? very ridiculous comment to make. Go for it. You know nice. the you know the Strauss character played yes. by yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. He really, really reminded me of the baddie in Beethoven. <laughs> because that's a great yeah, way so in Beethoven, there's a vet. There's a vet that like <laughs> is really bad. That and he a- like antagonizes the kid's dog on purpose to like rile it up and then pretends it attacks him. He literally is a spitting image <laughs> of Strauss. <laughs> In fact, I was a bit like, could it be him? Yeah. But obviously that film was from like the 80s or something. That is so funny. Well, I think that, yeah. Oh, sorry, Ben. I, th- I just think there's yeah. so many elements that kind of go together. Like it's hard, like it's it's really difficult saying it's a perfect film. I think I'll probably be able yeah. to say that on a couple of rewatches maybe when I, once I've like digested a bit more. But when like when you look at it, like as a sum of its parts, like the sound design is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The practical effects are fantastic. Nolan's, it's like one of his best written films. I think obviously there's a lot of timelines going on and it could get confusing, but I didn't feel it actually got that no. bad compared to some of his other films where you're like, like what the I, fuck is yeah, going on? Like yeah. what's happening? I was happening? a little bit worried that the, I was worried that the history wouldn't, wouldn't be accurate. No, uh, I'd put it's, no like, it's treading a yeah. very fine line, isn't it? Between kind of mainstream, like big budget, mega blockbuster, and then a very sensitive historical mm-hmm. document. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it passed. Oh, I agree. From yeah, what I know about the Second World War, and I think, and I, and I, think I, I didn't feel like it had any particularly strong agendas politically, which I was a bit worried no. about. It was more like to leave us wondering about the guy's guilt and the effect of what he built and how that then changed history in the future. He left it very open, and the genius nice. and the genius of it all is that. Nolan kind of saves his ass, in a way, by having the colored scenes being the subjective ones, right? Yeah. Because he's trying to delve into the psyche of Oppenheimer and then the black and white ones are the objective ones. Mm. And from what I read, the court hearings are, like the script is almost word for word what was spoken in the the hearings. So it's fantastic like how yeah. it was that's brilliant I, I need to yeah. speak to my mum who's a massive yeah. second world oh. buff yeah. <laughs> she'll, she'll have a I massive I mean it's made me of... it's made me really want to read the book yeah, now and, yeah. Act, and actually kind of and, and see how see how it comes across the book and then finally I mean every single person in that I, I, I don't think even from people who have just like one scene like I said with Gary Elman I don't think there's a bad performance in the film and I think mm. there are some actors in it like Robert Downey Jr Killian Murphy Emily Blunt, maybe Florence Pugh as well, who have given the best performance of their career so far. And that's like hard. And even Matt Damon maybe as well. Like Matt Damon's I really enjoyed fucking Matt incredible. Damon. He really like he is brilliant. But I think it's, if I mean, I'll be annoyed if Killian Murphy doesn't even get nominated for Best Actor oh, at everything. I win. think he should probably win it because to also like pretty much carry a three hour film. Obviously there's, it and and Down, him and Downey Jr. should get Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor because the two of them as a double act carrying the film is incredible but murphy is just amazing and i thought emily blunt was fantastic mm-hmm. like she was so good even down to as i say like the smaller ones like gary Oldman's really good aaron aldrich who i don't really who i've never really thought is that great is fantastic in that film as he's the guy who you were asking about simon who is strauss's kind of advisor who it's oh, kind yeah. of insinuated that he's gone behind his back and mm-hmm. and made these comments to rami malik who's also fucking great in the film <laughs> I can't like hear. who just comes out of nowhere like yeah, I just thought I I it's 
incredible. Like, it, I wish there was like an Oscar for Josh best, oh best ensemble. So yeah, good. Josh Hartnett as well. So like good. best ensemble cast. There's nothing like that at the yeah. Oscars. Obviously, there is. I think the saga. like the I think SAG awards. SAG and yeah. maybe the Emmys doing as well. Yeah. I mean incredible from start to finish like just so it's good. the ultimate Nolan joined like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's well Michael Caine's not there yeah well that's true that's the what one that's happened? missing that's the Scheduling one that's conflict? missing what happened so well, would you do you prefer Oppenheimer or Inception Oof, that's a great question that's probably, a hard question I, I think with a couple of rewatches I'm gonna like Oppenheimer more yeah like, I would agree it, I think it's I his think, most mature film like it just considering I haven't I haven't watched Inception in a while and obviously just fresh out of Oppenheimer, even still, I I think I'd pick Oppenheimer. I think, and for me, and like my interest as well, even though I love science fiction, and I think, you know, again, Inception is like a great ensemble piece as well. And some of the ideas in it are really cool. To see Nolan kind of digging into someone that, you know, you listen to Nolan talk about like history and, and, and physics and engineering, and you can tell that he's someone who has a really deep interest in that. And I think mm-hmm. that comes across in the film that, yeah, like you said, Simon, like, like about the history of it, he doesn't try and fuck with it so much. And I think the reason he doesn't do that is because he's, he respects the subject matter so much and respects the mm-hmm. people whose story he's trying to tell. He doesn't want to do a Tarantino where, you know, the Manson family get all fucking caught up. Like, once upon a time <laughs> yeah, because that was thing. one of my concerns. I remember, I, while I was watching it, I was thinking about how it reminded me of the imitation game slightly mm. because it was the mm. story of a guy who discovers and builds something and then his past is dragged up and used to break him down. In the case of the imitation game, it's he's gay. In the case of this, it's communism. Thinking about the Enigma Code reminded me of the film U571 <laughs> <laughs> and how yes. ridiculous... Another it, McConaughey classic. ...where uh, this... Where the Americans <laughs> discover the Enigma code and completely crack it on their own. And I was a bit worried that uh, yeah. something like that might happen in this film, but yeah. it absolutely doesn't. Where they hijack the submarine. Yeah. And actually, do you know, one more one more thing to note, and I'm sure everybody's seen this, but and, and one of the reasons I rewatched Tenet is that one of the lines in they talk in Tenet about Trinity and Oppenheimer and the idea of igniting the atmosphere. Hmm. And supposedly that was one of the things with Nolan that, you know, when he had that in that film, that you know, made him look towards Oppenheimer and this, the idea of this film. So yeah, mm. if you go oh, wow. back and rewatch it. So I remember when I was a kid, that. my dad teaching me about critical mass and about how nuclear bombs work and about how they were frightened of yeah. this chain reaction well, just being keeps unstoppable. Going, yeah. yeah, and mm. uh, it, was a, it came across really well in the film actually. Yeah. Wow. Okay, wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic film. We solved the ending again. Okay, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, take a second to share it on social, your stories, or your, with your friends. Word of mouth really keeps us going. We will be back in two weeks with the ultimate summer film, Point Break. Till then, uh, long live cinema and goodbye. Did you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it. I, I had no idea you could milk a cat. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.